I can picture that that scene of you walking up like, "What's up, bro, dudes?" Dude, is that a guitar? Oh my gosh! Oh, I've never seen one of those before. Let me try it. Yeah. yeah. Oh, dude. Yeah, right on. Wait. Yeah. How do I hold my? Do I play with my left hand or my right hand? Well, let me see. If, let me see if I got it figured out yet. <laughs> yeah, I guess I can play. I don't know. Never yeah. tried before. Totally wasn't expecting this, but I'm a quick learner. Yeah, yeah. we could run my grab, grab my guitar. It's in the car right there. <laughs> it's in my back pocket. <laughs> Three Dogs North is an attempt to objectify the subjective with little violence as possible. The following has been torn from its origins in space and time and put entirely at your disposal. <laughs> nice. So that you're, you know, the fact that your identity is based as a son of God, and I mean that never goes away for for us. No matter if you have, you know, if you're a father and you have ten biological children, or if you're, you know, a priest, you know, a pastor, a bishop, or even the pope, like you're always going to have that deepest identity as a son of God. But then, as you, you know, move along in your life and you're, you know, called to be a father in a certain way as well. I I remember when Father Bob was talking to us that day, Lombardo. And he was saying that he was reading the homily that Cardinal whoever preached at his ordination. Do you remember that? Oh, yeah. And I remember that hitting me, man, because he's talking about the church. And he was like, you know, the church as your bride. Like, she's, you know, she's forever young, but she counts her age in centuries. And, like, just going through this just poetic, like, very beautiful description of the church as his bride. And I remember... That really, you know, tugged on my heartstrings yeah. in a, in a real way, and so I still, I don't know. It's um, it's something I believe in, and I don't know. I, I guess I can feel it more. That reality is like church as your bride. You know, mm-hmm. the fact that like as a priest, you're a married man. Does it look like what most people think when they think marriage? No, but you mm-hmm. are. And so I am not to a point where I can really articulate it, but you with ordination so close, like anything on, on that really come to mind? Like priest as a chaste spouse or yeah, spiritual or father? whatever it means to, to you both, I guess, or, you know, the church as your, as your bride in that sense and how you love her. Yeah. I heard a funny story recently, a friend of mine, Nathan Goble, who actually has a podcast, went to college with him and- I was just listening to the Catholic stuff you should know. They just put out a new one. Um, you guys ever listen to that? Mm-hmm. It's pretty good. Um, how they, long? How long have they been doing it? Since January 2010, because that was the year, that was the month that Pope Benedict said you should uh, Catholics need to be in like using these new methods and stuff like that. So they call it a J10 initiative because it was started in January 2010. Oh yeah. But I went to college with. Goble. So hang on. January 2010, Benedict says you should use these new methods. So in 2014, we get a Twitter account. That's right. We're uh-huh. on the ball. Yeah. We're on so, the ball. Yep. What do we call that? An M14? Did we start it in March? 
No, it was February, wasn't it? She called it an M14 initiative. An F14. 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 That's a jet, right? Yeah, yeah that's the jet my pops flew. Nice. Serious, dude? F14. Did we start in February? I think so. I think so. Yeah, I, I, I really think we did. F14 was meant to be. And Pope Benedict is still kind of the Pope. <laughs> he's at Pope. <laughs> he's one of them Popes. Yeah, yeah, these popes How many Popes are there. are there now? Dude, there's going to be like four that are partying on, on Sunday. Sunday. <laughs> Dude, four Popes. Four Popes. That's Popery. That's Popery and it's also a band name. It is a band name. Do you think of everything in terms of, hey, that could be a band name? No, but when I hear a band name, I think that could be a band name. Nice. AC Slater and the High School Bros. AC Slater. Chin Music and the Nasty Stash. (laughs) That one hasn't left you, has it? No. You're still harping on that. So do you, I mean, so I I know for me personally. Well, I was going to tell this story about Goble. Okay, yeah, 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 have have it. So yeah, Goble, um... He's from the Springfield Diocese. He grew up in Mount Zion. Mount Zion. He went to school with Marty Smith. Oh, he did? Mm-hmm. mm-hmm. Like, high school? I think so, yeah. Did you know him at Illinois? Yeah, he was a couple years ahead of me. He's real good friends with Byrne. Mm-hmm. Um, but, yeah, I I just ran into him, actually, pretty recently. We was in, he swung through Chicago, and we just ended up in the same place at the same time. Wow. Real weird serendipity. But uh, I, when I was out in Denver, I saw him, too, because that's where he's now. Mm-hmm. But he told a story when he was applying for Springfield, I guess, initially. Okay, I didn't even know he did that. Okay. Or something, talking to the bishop. Mm-hmm. Uh, and he's a hilarious dude, but this whole story goes basically like he's he's fighting with the idea of a vocation. And, uh, you know, for him, which I think a lot of us start with is like, this is what God wants and not necessarily what I want, but... I'll do whatever you tell me to. Just tell me what to do and I'll do it because I need to make you happy. Right. Oh my gosh, that's so true. (laughs) (laughs) My job on earth. You created me so I could make you happy. Fine, fine. I'll go to seminary. Get off my freaking back. (laughs) All these girls that want me, of course. (laughs) (laughs) Sorry, ladies. You're going to have to get out of line. (laughs) So... Uh, he was in that mindset and goes to the, to the bishop and he's like, a little excitement would have been nice. It felt, it felt like they were more excited at Verizon when I signed my two-year contract than when I told these people that I'm willing to give up a paycheck, sex, and my freedom to them. <laughs> and then you're just like, okay, great, sign on the dotted line. <laughs> and so after this meeting where he's kind of just like in existential angst, he goes to um, this cloister, I don't know if it's Carmelites, Benedictine, whatever, nuns, and some a place where he had had kind of one of his first religious experiences, experience of the Holy Spirit, and it was under construction, so he knocks on the cloister door and um, tells him his story, like he can't get into the, the public chapel because it's under construction, he went, you know, and, and she's like, oh, you, you can pray in our private chapel, because he explains he's just made this decision, he's going to go be a Catholic priest and everything, and, so he goes into the, quote, private chapel, and it's full of, like, 70 old, old nuns. Like, wheelchair, scooters, oxygen tanks, kind of old. And it was, you know, a place where they retired or whatever. They were being taken care of by the younger sisters. And mm-hmm. He's sitting there praying, and he said he felt like God was just saying to him, 
here are your 70 virgins. <laughs> He's like, oh, Lord, you duped me, and I let myself be duped. <laughs> um, but anyways, that's basically a verbatim quote of the podcast that they just put out. But, um, he, The point is, like, that whole mentality of, like, delaying gratification. Christianity is delayed gratification. Uh, I'm going to give up earthly pleasure so that heaven will be totally boss. You know? And that's what you see in, like, the Islam, the radical Islam thing. Like, if you kill yourself for the jihad, giving up the ultimate good of life, then you're going to get a lot of sex with virgins in heaven. Yeah. You know, like this very earthly, carnal pleasure. Um, and it's like eating the frosting last on cake or something, you know? You're like, well, I'm not going to eat it now so that when I do eat it, it's more intense because then it's just frosting, mm-hmm. you know? And that's totally antithetical to the teaching of Christ who said, I came that you might have life and have it to the full. He's not saying have a vacuous life now so that you can have a full life later. That's like stuff you can't see yet. But trust me, it's going to be, it's going to be like pleasure here, but just like a thousand times better. Mm -hmm. He's saying like today, right now, follow me because your life is going to be more full, more lit up, more adventurous than it would be if you continued in the vacuous life of sin and carnal pleasure. Yeah. Um, Well, just that, the whole idea too of that, um, you know, heaven and earth are going to be one someday like it's not what's the father hennessy line that's so good he's it's like if you read the bible cover to cover like i promise you that when you no he says uh i know what you're talking about he says when you close your eyes and sleep close your eyes in death no he says read the bible and don't let your um don't go to sleep without having read the scriptures Mm -hmm. that day and if you do this every day when you close your eyes in death when they open up again, you'll know where you are and you'll be glad you're there. Yeah. Um, but yeah, like the, the idea that heaven starts now, and that's true of whatever state in life that God's called you to, uh, whether it's priesthood or marriage or whatever, it's like all of this is participation now in heaven that will be more full. Like what does Paul say? Right now we see as in a mirror dimly, but then we will see face to face. The... The God who we see in his secondary causes, his creation now, and serve and love in those manifestations, we will then see face to face. You know, we'll be friends, as true friends are, you know, with each other. But that doesn't mean that, like, now we're just kind of wandering about and trying to follow the rule book or whatever. And so, to your point about being a chaste spouse or a spiritual father as a priest, like, it's not like priesthood is kind of like marriage, you know, mm-hmm. in that you, once you do it, you can't get out of it. And it's all about sacrifice. And, you know, in that way it kind of shares with marriage, you know, uh, these qualities or something. No, but the essence of marriage is that it images the love of God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, the Trinitarian love. That is the basis, the foundation of everything that is. All of reality is relational because God is a relationship of Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. So when you're ordained a priest, no priest is ordained for himself or by himself. He's ordained by the church, by the bishop who represents the church and Christ. 
and says, now you're in relationship with every single person on earth, you know, in this particular way, that you're, you're married to them in a sense. And a diocesan priest is kind of married to a place. Like I'll be married to Cook and Lake County, the Archdiocese of Chicago. And, uh, yeah, I guess I've really experienced it as the, the church is the bride in that way, that even before diaconate ordination, I remember praying a lot, imagining certain people that I wanted to commit to, you know, like I want to say yes to being a deacon, to, to this lifetime commitment of celibacy for this person mm-hmm. and for this person and for this person and for the, you know, and that way that celibate love is kind of, it's indifferent in that it's for everyone, but it's also like very concrete because you run into people and you see, I'm a deacon for you, or I'm a priest for you right now in this moment because God's put us together and I'm going to hear your confession after you've been away for 50, 40 years or whatever. God chose me to be here in this confessional for you now. Obviously that's never happened to me, but hopefully will someday. You, know? <laughs> um, you hear those stories like that. Sounds like my weekend. Jeez. We're stuck in the confessional the whole day. Uh, Not absolving anyone, but heard some pretty juicy stuff. Yeah. Did you lock yourself in there again? (laughs) Sorry, dude. Sounds like you need a priest. (laughs) That's pretty messed up, BB Dubs. They're like, my ears are bleeding. Hashtag no seal. I can tell everyone. Yeah. (laughs) Oh, man. They, like, work up all this courage come back and they just spill it and you're like whoa whoa man that's sick Have you seen that, that is sick that Simpsons episode where they, they're trying to figure out who shot Mr. Burns and uh, Smithers thinks he did it because he got drunk that night and he can't. He didn't realize that he was mistaken but he goes to confess to a priest and he says I shot Mr. Burns and Chief Wiggum the police chief opens the screen and he's like man this thing works like a charm <laughs> oh man little blasphemous but humorous nonetheless <laughs> but you know what i'm saying like that that this is i mean in a way the confessional is a good example because there a person opens up parts of their heart that they wouldn't even open up to their spouse yeah you, know, you see deeply this is a very intimate encounter and it's it's not the same as a marriage where you, you're opening up to each other but uh you see into a person's soul in a way because they reveal it because they consent to that and trust you to love them in spite of the ugliness of whatever they've done or a priest told me once that like the closest you get to seeing someone's just true heart is in the confessional Mm -hmm. um like it's just such an intimate you know intimate experience between um the person but it seems to me if you don't what are you gonna all i was gonna say i mean and it's cool to hear you talk about it so close to ordination but but ultimately i mean it comes back to when you're talking about love whether it be you know loving the the church or you know loving um someone like preparing for marriage with them or whatever like someone preparing for marriage doesn't fully know that other person there's still a leap of faith oh yeah with that but that's what love does man it's just like absolutely like i want to give my whole life to you know, serving this person and getting to know them better. And, and it's the same same way, I guess, with with priesthood is you just get to a point where it's like, yeah, like absolutely. I'm all I'm all in. Yeah. You know? And even I mean I think even people joining 
the church. I heard that, I think it was Francis Beckwith telling his conversion story one time. And he was like, he was like, listen, I just got to a point. And he was like, I still didn't understand a lot of stuff about the Catholic church. But I got to a point and I just believed it. And I was ready to say like, okay, like they have the truth and that's where I need to be. Mm -hmm. And, you know, he just jumped in then. I think a lot of times people, especially with whether it be coming back to church or just being a practicing Christian or a practicing Catholic, they think like, well, I need to figure this out first. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? Or I need to read all this stuff and like know my faith before I start coming back to church. Mm-hmm. And like, that's just not, you know, I understand. I mean, I understand where that thought process comes from, but it's just missing the, it's missing the boat for sure. Mm-hmm. Where are you going to yeah. say Well, it just seems <clears throat> from all of your stories, um, and essentially everything that you talked about there from, uh, you know, the encounter obviously at mass with, um, you know, baptizing those, those three gals or those three children and then being in the hospital or going out to the gazebo and playing guitar with those guys or, um, you know, in the future in the confessional in terms of the world, uh, the, the priest, if you're, if you're just going to look at it with worldly eyes, the priest has no place. Yeah, I didn't do anything. Like, you're just thinking about it, it really struck me when you were talking about the hospital. Like, you have people who are, are trained professionals mm-hmm. who have spent, you know, in a lot of ways their entire life, at least their education, mm-hmm. learning exactly what to do to help this person physically. Or, and then the family, this is someone who's very, very close to them. And is is dying like this is a moment that they will remember forever, most likely. And for some reason, the priest is there with them. Mm-hmm. So it's like this supernatural component of humans longs for that. And you being there, and then them turning and acknowledging and saying, "I need you here right now for something that the world cannot offer." Mm-hmm. That doctor right there who has a Ph. or you know has a, is it MD. Or that nurse who went to nursing school and all these big machines and this whole city that's a hospital can't do anything for me right now. I only need you. Mm-hmm. That you're the only person that can fulfill some sort of longing that's within my heart or mm-hmm. can help satisfy or heal this wound that I have. Or at the gazebo, you know, only you, you were the only person that could have been there and had that exact encounter, mm-hmm. who could have been there for God, who gave you this invitation not to, you know, it's, it's like when you talk about the vocation, like, oh, I guess I have to do this for God. Mm-hmm. When in reality, it's an invitation of God wanting to share his love mm-hmm. with us. And he's saying, I love you and I want you to participate in that, in these relational encounters that you have at the hospital, that you have baptizing people, you know, letting the Holy Spirit enter them, or even at the gazebo. I'm going to use you, like you said, that vocation that's been within you, that really you don't have a lot of business being there, mm-hmm. you know, but God has placed you there for this exact moment, for that is, you know, unexplanatory in a lot of ways, especially through the eyes of the world, but it just, it really speaks to the supernatural component of every single human. Of you can't deny it. You can't deny it. And you know, when when worse comes to worse and everything hits the fan, they're gonna turn and they're gonna ask, you know, where's the priest? Mm-hmm. Or you know, the the classic saying, the cliche, there's no atheists in foxholes. Um, 
Well, I know that Chesterton writes a lot on that, uh, but his basic analogy is like, it's like a person uh, who is trying to deny the existence of their hand. And, <laughs> uh, you know, as, as hard as they try not to look at their hand or try to swat their hand away, um, the hand's still going to be there. And they know that it's going to be there until they're forced to chop it off. Because uh, the hand's going to sit there and, and try to feed them or try to smack them in the face. Um, and it's going to hurt. It's going to hurt a lot to chop them off, to chop off the hand. Um, and that's kind of what I think a lot of people do with the supernatural component, that spiritual component that only the priest or only Christ, essentially, only Christ can really be the one that he just uses us to, to mediate or uses you to, to mediate his love. You can't deny it. You know, that hand is letting you know that it's there and it's waving and it's yeah. smacking you in the face <laughs> and it's trying to feed you. It's trying to feed you. And all we try to do is just lop it off. Like, no, it's definitely not there. Or like turn our faces away while it's reaching up to put yeah. food in our mouth. Like, eh, don't do it. Yeah. I don't need you. Or it's punching us over and over. I, I don't feel anything. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> uh, and then another thing that, that struck me was, so growing up, <laughs> I was a rabble rouser. I was like, uh, I was a big time troublemaker. And essentially what it came down to was, Whatever I was doing, I wanted to have as much fun as I could possibly have in anything, whatever I was doing. And oftentimes, unfortunately, uh, it meant this sort of hedonistic idea of, of pleasure and happiness of like, oh, I just want to play or I want to play sports or I want to eat a lot of chocolate or you, you can see how that is disordered as you get older and what different. What was the thing that you did with the, some kind of ice cream or where you drank it like... A certain way. Oh my goodness! Yeah, what was it? we were. Going... <laughs> Did we talk about that in the podcast? I don't think so. But me and my two younger brothers—I don't think my older brother would do it, Pat. But uh, we would all order Eminem McFlurries. That's what it was. <laughs> we would order Eminem McFlurries, and it's like what you said: leaving the icing to the side, yeah. okay, so you can enjoy. <laughs> we would eat the entire McFlurry, and throughout. We would spit back the m <laughs> So at the end of the McFlurry, it would just be like, disgusting be like chocolate m right. uh, So that's like, that's how I lived everything, was sports is way more fun than school, so that's all I'm going to care about. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, in college, you can see what replaces, so it's the same thing, okay? It's just mm-hmm. becoming a, a more adult uh, thing that I'm trying to insert in the place of God, essentially. Mm-hmm. But that's all it was, just... I want to be happy and have as much fun as possible. And literally that led me to seminary. That led me because as my desire for happiness and joy and fun developed and matured, especially in the the spiritual life, it came to this understanding that the only way that I'm actually going to be happy or the way that I'm going to have the most joy in my life is only if I do God's will. And it was, like you said, that kind of, oh, I guess I'll do that. But let me tell you, the more that you live into that vocation that is implanted in our hearts from the day that we're conceived, you know, from all time, right? We have that vocation within us. It's not like you're not creating this thing and trying to build it up into it. It's you're growing into that. So that when I look back at every single aspect of my life, it somehow is pointing to this vocation that, that God has given me, that God has placed in my heart. And 
living into that vocation, which is really the most freedom that I'll ever have, that we'll ever have, is Mm -hmm. being the people that God created us to be, has been, and I'm confident that it will be the most fun that I could ever possibly have. So like being at home at Tridum, your Tridum weekend sounds super busy, but like an incredible amount of fun and satisfaction. I can honestly say that I've never had as much fun or been as happy as being in seminary, Hmm. which is so strange. It is so strange, but it's true. Like you try to tell that to the world and it just doesn't, like it's so tough because it's that same thing in the hospital. Like, oh, doctor, uh, nurse, giant machine that's going to save someone's life and then a priest. You're like, Mm -hmm. why are you here? You You don't serve any practical purpose. You know, how can you be happy? You're not doing the things that would make us happy. It, it, just, it just doesn't make sense. Mm-hmm. But it, I, I mean, it's, it speaks to that desire that we all have. Um, and so, well, that we just have to live our vocations and mm-hmm. let people see that. Um, because it really is a gift. If our vocations are a gift, then it's not for us. Right. You know, uh, and that's what all those stories are. That's the giving of what you've received back to the other people. Um, I don't know. That was just, that was really big for me growing up. Yeah. Was, let's be happy, dude. Let's have a ton of fun. And now I'm in seminary. (laughs) (laughs) Never saw that coming. Did not see that one coming. Curveball. Curveball. Three Dogs North are Juice, Seabisk, and Michael Metz. Conversations have been edited to sound smarter. Audio and transcripts of this episode are exclusive property of Mundelein Seminary and may not be rebroadcast without the express written consent of Major League Baseball. And down.